The tree has been put away, the decorations back in their boxes, and probably a lot of the decorations outside are still up because, well, it's negative five outside. I'm not going out there to take down anything for the foreseeable future, but the holidays have passed clearly, and some of us maybe are past our hangover. And now that we've taken two weeks away, Zach, it's time to resume the Selby is Godcast, the post-holiday hangover edition. Are, are you ready to go? Are, are you over your holiday malaise? And are you ready to dive back into just the vast number of moves that have happened in the meantime while we've been away? You know, I still have four Christmas ales left in my fridge. Um, so I'm, I'm going to milk this. I'm going to really try to extend it as late as I can and... I want to be drinking Christmas ales in, like, June. You can go for that. I mean, if you know how to ration properly. It's, you know, I was talking to my wife about this. It's so, January is the worst month of the year, in my opinion. Um, the weather is, is I, uh, I, I, I cannot be in a good mood when it's. <laughs> Ever? Yeah, when it's single digits outside and the wind chill is, like, negative 13 and my dog bless his heart and he hates the cold he'll go outside and pee and sprint back in but yeah if he sees footprints he has to sniff every footprint <laughs> and we have deer that go through our yard so he sniffs every footprint of every deer and i'm standing outside getting frostbite and it's it's <laughs> i loathe winter especially when it hits these extremes and i think the everybody kind of hits that post-holiday funk where I'm sure for everybody who works a normal nine to five job, it's so difficult to go back after the new year, especially for those who have the week off in between Christmas and New Year's. And it's so difficult to just get back in the flow of things. And then especially when it gets dark so early and it's two degrees and windy. And when you're walking outside, you get slush on your pants. Like it's what give me one good thing about January. Oh, uh, well, there is uh elvis's birthday is in january so we got oh. that i only know that because my brother shares the the same birthday as elvis so uh i don't really know i can't come up with one potential thing unless you really really love getting uh salt from your car on your coat and pants mm -hmm. uh that's that's always a good one um anything valuable that like you would wear normally you just put away in, in the winter like you don't wear any good shoes out because within uh, a trip and a half they're all ruined um, let's be honest we all want to wear sweatshirts and sweatpants and not get off the couch right yeah i mean that's pretty much been my mo for uh since we got back from the winter meetings basically uh, outside of going for some family holiday stuff um occasionally letting the dog outside in the backyard luckily like I, I feel for you. We have a fenced-in yard, so I can just open the door. I don't have to chain her. I don't have to do anything. I just kick her outside, shut the door. But she's such a prima donna that she won't even go out in the snow. So she, she'll normally just do her business right on the back patio. And you're like, really, dude? Right? This is where we walk inside. You have to do it right here. But the upside of that is I don't have to actually go outside with her. So that's not as bad. But I can't come up with one thing. That really is is great about this time of year. It's dark. It's gloomy. Everyone's in a bad mood. Everywhere you go, people are upset with everything. And usually this time of year, we have plenty of at least moves to sort sort of kind of wrap our brains around, sort of decide who's going to be good, who's not going to be good this season. And there's an entire list of free agents still available. I mean, usually this time of year, everyone's taking things back to the store, not still trying to shop. Uh, in advance of the holidays, and yet, what, do we have like eight of the top ten free agents still on the board right now as, as we begin this podcast? It's, it's crazy to me um, how we've seen things unfold this winter. Can I read you a tweet from a since-blocked follower? <laughs> um, and and I don't block that many people, but sometimes I'm just in the mood where like, I don't want to hear your whiny bullshit and your complaining and your griping. Like, take a step back and realize this is sports for a second. Um, and take a step back and realize that you're a 35-year-old man or you're a 60-year-old man or you're a 22-year-old woman and, like, you're complaining about some roster move or something. Like, like I, 
there are times when I'm like, okay, whatever, and I can ignore it and brush it aside. And then there are times where I'm like, oh, it's so cold out, and I don't <laughs> want to move, and it's just January is so dreadful. And then I get this tweet, and it's like, ah, you're blocked. So I, I wrote a piece for to, to kick off the new year just on how when you look at the three teams in Cleveland and you've got the Indians and the Cavs who are obviously contending for championships and that's, that's the standard, that's the goal, and anything else is disappointing. That's where you want any team you could ever root for to be in, in that, that category. And then you have the Browns who are on the other end of the spectrum, but instead of like, oh, they're 5-11 and 11 every year, how are they going to get out of this? They, they have one draft pick. Is that enough to turn it around? What are they going to do? They're 0-16, so they're super interesting because people actually care to see if they were going to go winless. And they're relevant because they changed front office leadership, and the coach is <laughs> – a lot of people want him fired even though he's coming back for some reason. And so there's just always something interesting, not to mention the bounty of draft picks they have. So if you look at all three of those teams, it's like this is as interesting a time in Cleveland sports as we've ever had. And it's obviously a delight for us because – that's our dream. We don't want apathy. We don't want boring sports teams who can't get out of their own way. We want interesting sports teams that can't get out of their own way or interesting sports teams that are really good. So we have that. And I, I tweet out the story and this guy goes, one championship is the glory days. Indians are choke artists and had their chance. Their window is closed. The Browns are awful. The Cavs have no shot. And it's like that's the first, that was the first Happy tweet New I read Year, everybody. in 2018. <laughs> it's, it's 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 unbelievable. So that kind of sums up how I feel about January and the post-holiday hangover. And uh, I'm excited. I'm anxious for spring training to arrive. Well, I think there is some good news that not so much has happened in baseball. It's because at some point we keep saying this. Like I feel like a broken record at this point. Things are slow, things are boring, but they're going to pick up eventually. Well, they have to eventually because not all these guys are going to be free agents heading into the year. Um, they're all going to have homes at some point. They're all going to either have to back off their demands or teams are eventually going to come around and offer them something close to what they want. So we're going to get a flurry of activity. We're going to have things to talk about, things to break down and discuss and not have to invent stories and come up with angles um, that, that don't exist because this, the dam has to break eventually that this has to lead to some movement. And I feel like generally at this time, the Indians are, have played the waiting game. Um, they've sat back, watched the market unfold. Many, if not all of the top free agents are gone. And, and now you're sort of picking through the bargain bin, what's left, what's on clearance. And you can occasionally find a couple of things there that, that help you. And this time of year, I, I don't know if if what's happened is, is helping or hurting the Indians because a lot of teams are kind of doing the same thing. So if everybody's doing the same thing that you are, you don't really have an advantage there. But I also feel like there's a potential uh, assist to the Indians if players are going to start backing off their demands and there's going to be a free for all. And many are going to sign below for what they were anticipated to sign for. And that's where free agents start to fall into the Indians category, whether it's a reliever or a right fielder or, or whatever, you know, whatever they still need before the beginning of the season. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if what has happened is really, is really going to help or hurt them. Do you have a feeling on that? Because I can't decide one way or another. Yeah, you know, I have two things here. Uh, one, I can't. I don't know about you. I cannot imagine being a on the free agent market and it getting even this close to spring training. We're what six weeks away. I would be so restless, and I would be going. My brain would be going insane. Like, like how I, do you trust your agent? How, right. Wouldn't you be hounding him every day? Absolutely. What is going on? What is happening? I need a team. I need to know where I'm going. Yeah, I mean, we both spoke to Nick Goody last year at some point or another when he was DFA'd by the Yankees, and there was about a week's worth of time where he didn't know what team he was going to play for. And it just so happened that he was on his honeymoon during that time. So he's with his new bride sitting on the beach, I think it was St. Lucia, and texting his agent every day or every hour saying, any word yet, any word yet, where am I going? Like, that's, that's how I would be. And then I can't imagine doing that when you're a free agent. So there's 
if, if you're good enough, you know you're going to be in spring training with somebody, but there, you're, there's never a guarantee. And we always see guys who are like, oh, I forgot about him. He was pretty good a few years ago. What happened? It's just like no one signed him and his career just ended. So <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be going stir crazy. I'd be losing my mind. And, and the way that the market has developed or has not developed this year it's like I feel like we're gonna have a barrage of of signings in in late January and early February, and and aren't guys just gonna be like, hey, I'll take whatever contract any team is willing to give me, just put me on a roster. Yeah, I mean it's something close to that, or you sign something. If you look for instead of just looking for top dollar value or top length in contract, you say what it what would just be the best situation for me to come come in for a year short term build up my, my stats, try to come back the next year and hit the market again and see if I have better luck. Yeah, that's what I, I wonder, would that be beneficial for Eric Hosmer? Like take him, for example, mm-hmm. where you could sign potentially, let's say with the Padres and sign a long-term contract, get something close to what you, you kind of coveted. Is that the best situation for you? Would it be better suited for you to sign a short-term deal with somebody, go back to Kansas City for a year or something? where you're comfortable in the situation and then try to come back the next year and do it all over again or something similar for Moustakis or, I mean, just look at the, the names. I was just jotting some of them down before we started. And like, I forgot half of them between Hosmer and Moustakis, you Darvish, JD Martinez, Jay Bruce, Jake Arrieta. I mean, you got like an all-star team sitting out on the freaking market (laughs) right now. That's, that's crazy. It's incredible. And it's, uh, so I think we're, if we look at the Indians, needs and i think we would agree is is bullpen kind of first and foremost right now you would think so yeah yeah they you know it's funny because there was a barrage of bulk reliever signings when we were at the winter meetings and i kept thinking really they couldn't give this guy two million dollars a year couldn't give this guy four million dollars a year and we don't exactly know their finances. We know that Yonder Alonso is probably their big free agent splash, if you call it that. It's more of a ripple in the pond. But um, I think there are going to be a lot of relievers who have to settle, and that's where the Indians could benefit. There are still a lot of guys on there who have had decent track records, and the, just because of where we are and because you know no one's rushing to sign these guys when a lot of times it's a lottery ticket, they might be able to sign a couple of them, and they always do. They always sign someone on a, a minor league deal with a spring training invite, and they might be able to do that and then pick up a couple other guys for one year, two million, something like that, um, or something more incentive based. And so I think that's that's where they stand to benefit. And, and I think because bullpen pieces are always the easiest to add, and they're the more the most volatile for sure. But you can always find someone out there and and maybe tweak something and and have them resurrect their career. And so there, there are enough bodies out there where I think I, I don't worry about that too much. I worry about the long-term status of the, the bullpen, yeah. but I think for 2018, I think um, the slow developing market helps them with filling those spots in the relief core. Yeah. We're on the same page there. 20, the 2018 bullpen is going to be fine. It is going to be a different makeup than it was in years past, but they're going to be able to piece something together to make it work as long as your two best pieces pitch like stars. As long as Cody Allen and Andrew Miller are Cody Allen and Andrew Miller, you're going to be fine there. You're going to find some reliever that shakes loose, some J.J. Hoover, Craig Stammen, bring him back into the mix. I mean, somebody is going to be able to help you, probably multiple guys, and you'll hit on one of them. And that's generally how it works with bullpens. I mean, in the past, we saw how many teams just not spend at all at the bullpen and and just kind of go the route of knowing volatility is going to take over, don't give anybody any guaranteed money. When you have a couple of stars, you can kind of surround them with the, the supplemental pieces and, and find guys to make it work. So I'm, I'm not as concerned there in 2018 as you should be in 2019 and beyond. Is the roster perfect though right now? No. And I think where, where I, th- I was listening to Antonetti say that this is the bulk of their, their finances when they signed yonder Alonzo. And I think he, I think he ge- genuinely believes that, but I also feel like, they should be, and they probably are in a position where if somebody, if, if a position player, that like one of these guys we're talking about or somebody in that second tier, 
is willing to sign a short-term deal, that's where I think they're going to be willing to, to, to be opportunistic like they've been in the past. If they can find somebody that's, that is going to sign a, a one-year deal, I think that's where they're more likely to, to try to, to upgrade the roster. And so, so, yes, I believe that it's probably the bulk of their, their finances and their flexibility signing Alonzo and, and bringing him in was needed. But I also feel like it, 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 just based on kind of what we've seen and how they've operated in the past, they're more concerned with the, the length of the contract than they are just the one-year commitment that they're making. And I, I, I just I feel like I, at least the sense that I have is that they'd be willing, if, if the, the guy was right, the fit was right, they would still be willing to spend some additional money this year. It's about committing long-term that they're scared to do. Yeah, I think it wouldn't surprise me if we got to June and July, and we've written this, but I could see a repeat Andrew Miller trade this summer where they get to June or July, teams are selling, there's a clear divide in the market between teams contending and and teams who want to sell off their pieces, and they find a reliever on one of those selling teams that has somebody who's signed for multiple years, and that's how they start to patch together the future bullpen, knowing that Miller and Allen might not come back. So it's harder to do now because the guys who are on the market are they're on the market for a reason. And, like, you look at Tyler Clippard or uh, who did you name? Or, like, Bruce Rondon or J.J. Hoover, and it's like, okay, well, we could give those guys two-year deals, but – we if they bomb then that's lost money for the second year yeah so if we wait give some guys like that or give those guys one-year contracts um as we get closer to spring training we can focus on adding a multi-year reliever in the summer when when that's more applicable so i I guess i get that there's no one out there who you're going to sign to like a three-year deal right now and, and be really thrilled about your bullpen moving forward um so Especially not for the money that they have available. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I think if they're going to make another big splash this winter or do anything significant, it's it's going to be via a trade. I know everyone has their theories on why things have gone the way that they've gone. I think it's a combination of many things. It's teams being smarter with their finances. Uh, just the evaluation of players is different than it was in the past. And I don't think there's a front office out there that doesn't greatly value analytics at this point. And that wasn't the case even two, three, four years ago. There's probably a couple of teams late to the party, but now everyone's kind of operating under the same umbrella. So I think that's part of it. I think there's probably some of it where teams are looking ahead to the gigantic free agent class of next year, the potential Mm -hmm. there. And maybe just holding on to their dollars and, and holding on to all their resources to utilize it there. Um, maybe just teams are reluctant to sign the, the gigantic mega deals. I mean, how many, how many times do we have to see a team sign somebody for eight to ten years and see two years into the deal they're screaming to get out of it before they start to learn? Right. So I think they that's never part pan of it out. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, teams in the Indians' position. The trade market typically makes more sense. It's tougher to navigate, but um, it's weird. I mean, like, everyone wants to make a big deal about all the losses the Indians have suffered this offseason. And look, Carlos Santana was, was a valuable piece. Is he worth $20 million a year? Uh, maybe not for how the Indians, how much they would need him. Um, but we don't know what Yonder Alonso is going to be, so it's kind of tough to say how much they upgraded or downgraded. Um, and then when you consider the money, I mean, that's, that's another variable that factors into that opinion. But, like, they lost Joe Smith, and it's like, okay, they had Joe Smith for two months, and he pitched, like, seven times. Like, it, it's, it's, they can replace that. That's not that big of a deal. They lost Brian Shaw. They knew they were going to lose Brian Shaw. That's, that's going to be significant just because of the workload that he endured. So, Yes, that is a loss. And have they done anything to replace him? No, not, not yet. Is that impossible to replace? It's difficult in the volume. It's not necessarily impossible in terms of the results and the productivity of that volume. Um, and like they lost Jay Bruce. Okay, well, Jay Bruce was replacing Michael Brantley. And you never had both of those guys at the same time. And Jay Bruce was here for two months. So it's like 
they're committing that twelve million dollars to Michael Brantley essentially to replace Jay Bruce, who is replacing Michael Brantley. So it's it's like like have they really lost a ton? I don't know that they did. And and they won one hundred and two games, and they went on that twenty two game winning streak with a lot of pieces missing. They had a lot of injuries down the stretch. Danny Salazar wasn't in the mix, and um, you know Andrew Miller was in and out uh, of off the disabled list. So it's like. They're still a good team, and we just want to overreact. And I go back to the, maybe it's because of the first tweet I read in 2018 <laughs> being so negative. But it's let's just take a deep breath. I know the Yankees added uh, Jesus Christ himself to their outfield, but it, it's they're still going to be a good team. They play in a terrible division, which is going to help inflate their win total and get them closer to a playoff berth. Um, and there is time. Like if you look around the league. Nobody's making moves. That's what I don't get. And that's why I think, like, if they're going to do something, it's going to be via trade. It's going to be Danny Salazar to the Cubs, or it's going to be something else. I just, there's not, just going and spending $100 million in free agency every year never works. And if you pay attention, teams aren't doing that. And that's why the market is what it is. I mean, even like, even like, even like the Yankees right now. What the Yankees yeah. didn't get good again because they start. I mean, they certainly benefit from having the payroll that they do, but it's because of an infusion of young talent that they procured by going out and, and trading for you know trading guys that were in their prime, trading Andrew Miller, you know, getting guys in that could help their core, and 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 it would all of a sudden it starts to look like the the Yankees of the '90s where they had that perfect mix of veterans that they brought in in free agency and a core that they built from within and brought in via trade. I mean, that's how they've done it. It's really, I mean, it's almost impossible to build a team team all through free agency and and to let that linger every year based on guys getting older. And, and when you, when you purchase a guy in free agency, you're getting, you're getting his declining years. You're not very rarely. and, And this is where a guy like Bryce Harper is different because you're still paying for years in his prime, but that's generally not what you're doing in free agency. So, I mean, if you can look to sign the shorter term deals and, and just be smart enough to kind of flip the outskirts of your roster while you still have guys like Ramirez and Lindor and Kluber and Carrasco and, and the guys that are making up the core of your team, you're still going to be in a pretty good position. Now, I don't think they're going to go out and win 102 games again this year. And you can certainly make a case that down the stretch, a lot of things went right. But as you laid out, a lot of things went wrong, too. And I think just generally over this whole sense of the of just look at the entirety of the season. I think they were unlucky in the first half and lucky in the second half. And things sort of balanced out to be a hundred win team. I don't I wouldn't put them in that category again. But can they go out and win a 94 games, 95 games? Hell yeah, they can with the roster that they currently have. And that's certainly going to be good enough in this division. And that's where I agree with you on something you wrote a couple of weeks ago. Just about even if you're patient and wait till the trade deadline, you don't know what you're going to need necessarily right now. But you know that you have a team that's probably good enough to just go out and win the division as is. So what's the rush to hurry up and use all your resources now? What if you suffer a crippling injury in the rotation? Or what if Andrew Miller sucks all of a sudden and you you know you have to commit what resources you have to go get a reliever it might not be on your radar right now but in july it might be so there's some benefit there where guys aren't going to cost as much as they do now because you're we're dealing with six or seven teams that you're bidding against instead of the entire leagues i think there's benefit there in their situation to to slow play this and see what happens, be opportunistic. And if you get into the season with uh, something close to what you've got right now, know that you're a good team and then be ready to pounce in July when your team, when, when the needs that are there are presented. You said something though. And I, I, I mean, I, we agree. There's no need to keep this part of the discussion going, but the Yankees got Stanton in, and it's a very rare scenario, but we've seen it. We've seen it happen. I think in in every sport where a team loses its trade leverage, as as the Marlins did with Stanton, just because he said he didn't want to go to San Francisco or St. Louis. The Marlins made it publicly clear they wanted to move him and clear his salary, and. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, now we can only trade him to the teams that he'll accept and the teams that are willing to take on that contract. So we're probably not going to get much in re- return. And so the Yankees jumped on that because 
if, if you can stomach that contract, you can get a really a once in a generation power hitter for nickels on the dollar. And so I know, and we, we tried to get as much information out of Antonetti and Chernoff during the winter meetings on this topic as possible. It, that's very difficult to do because as we wrote, they want to be the most boring people in baseball and reveal as little as possible. But there are front offices that other front offices know can be taken advantage of more than others. And there are other front offices that no one wants to deal with. There are many front offices that conduct trade talks via text and GIF and emoji. Um, I think there's this fascinating world out there, and this applies to all sports. But baseball probably more than others just because you have so many moving parts and so many positions to fill throughout an entire organization. So you're probably in more constant contact with other executives than you would be in the NFL or the NBA. Um, but I th think the whole dynamic of that communication and how it's done and the tactics behind these trade talks is fascinating to me. And I'm sure we'll never know as much as we want because there's probably a, a code of unwritten rules to, you know, you don't, you don't want to spill all the trade secrets. Um, but it's something I want to know as much about as possible, and I'm sure the average fan does too because the average fan plays fantasy football and fantasy baseball and probably uses similar strategies that we use in our ridiculous HBD league and that Antonetti and Chernoff use every day when talking to executives <laughs> around the league. That, that was the biggest takeaway from the winter meetings for me and probably for you too because there wasn't a hell of a lot else <laughs> happening. Um, was just the sense of because behind in those in those settings you get more of a clear picture of who who the the executives are than you do in, during the regular season when they've got product on the field and they're invested in what's happening and there's a bunch of media around and they're a little bit more buttoned up in the winter meetings you get guys a little bit more laid back a little bit more relaxed and I think that's generally how most of their meetings with other teams are going and you get these conversations that happen that are so similar to what you and I do in, in hardball dynasty or, or fantasy f football and baseball. And, and that re really opened my eyes because I, I don't know really what I thought happened. I mean, I knew it wasn't exactly <laughs> the piling guys into a room, shaking hands, very formal. I assumed these guys all know each other and there is some, some comedy brought into it. But I mean, I, I thought for the first time in a long time, we got a little better sense on just the personality as much as they tried to hide it. When we talked about things that didn't directly involve moves that they were making, they pulled back the curtain a little bit on some of that stuff. And I thought it was refreshing to find out that guys, you know, when they make a terrible trade offer to another team, they'll send the other team a GIF, as Antonetti said, a colorful one, which just reminded me of every time that you've sent me a terrible trade offer that I just <laughs> respond back because in the bottom you can hit reject trade in our little fantasy baseball league made up of fake players, by the way, with fake ratings. It all takes place in a computer generation simulator. It's real to me, man. <laughs> it's, with the amount of time I spend on it, it, it better be real to me as well. But, I mean, every time that I've rejected one of your trades and just put in the, the trade rejection screen, the comments at the bottom, L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L, in response to your trade, I mean, that's I, – I guess I didn't really think about it that much, but a lot of that stuff is happening in real baseball or in real football and basketball too, I assume. It is, and I think the really fascinating thing is that everyone has a reputation. So, like, relationships are so important, and, that, and that's the, – the interesting thing for the Indians is that so many execs around the league came from the Indians' system. <laughs> yeah, so, you, right. you know, if, if they want to make a deal with the Twins, they're dealing with Derek Falvey, who used to work hand-in-hand -hand with them. So they know how Derek Falvey thinks, and he knows how they think. So they say it makes it easier to get something done. I think it's easier from a communication standpoint just because you can get past all the bullshit you would have to do. Like, like when we deal in HPD with 
an owner that we don't know that well. It's like you you talk up your own player, you talk down their player, so that maybe they then think, oh yeah, their player is really good. My player <laughs> many, is pretty bad. How many times have you inquired about a player and said, hey, I, I really really dig this player that you've got? That's the first message, and the next seven messages that you send are all tearing down that player about why he sucks, why he can't play every day. Well, you know, he's only a platoon player, and he's kind of a liability in the field. And, you know, his numbers really haven't reflected what the ratings say here. So I guess if you're just looking to dump him, I'll take him. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, well, that's I have every a trade example. that you've ever made. Yeah, I mean, I had – okay, so <laughs> if – I hope people find this as interesting as we think it is and – we're, we're, you know, we, we aren't in the Indians war room, so we don't know how the conversation is going if they're trying to deal Jason Kipnis to the Mets, but we can tell you it, it's, there are some similarities here. We know um, just from having conversations off the record, but so I, I, in my, in our HVD league, I'm trying to sell, I'm trying to turn over my franchise and get younger and, and cheaper and, build for the future and so by the way Kurt- this, this happens on whatifsports.com i know many people yes. that listen to us every week know we talk about our hardball dynasty teams if you listen to the fan graphs podcast featuring uh the athletic contributor to travis sawchick he also talks about his hardball dynasty team which should i say it zach it's won yeah. three three straight championships now one uh two of two of them over you two of them over me uh, I'm sorry, man. That still burns. Anyways, I just wanted to give some people some background where it happens. It's what if sports. Yeah, if, if you're a baseball junkie, if you're the type of person who used to play the video games and had more fun making trades and building the roster and would simulate the season to get to the next offseason, uh, it's it's for you. But it will, if you want to just waste suck. your life, throw your yeah. life away, make sure put this over on top of everything else, then yes, this is for you. Um, so, so my, my, probably my best trade chip is Kurt Malone, my outfielder who is, his ratings suggest he should be a, he should hit 50 home runs a year, have like the 970 OPS. He's underperformed that a little bit and I've never understood why, but he's 29. He's under contract, reasonable price for four more years. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking for some blue chip prospects here and I had a team reach out to me. And say at the end of this uh, message, Malone would help me a lot. And I see that and I, my eyes light up. Like he is admitting to me that he is desperate for this player. And I say, okay, well, I, I look through his system. He's got great prospects. Uh, I see a couple that I would want that would make this work. And he rejects my offer and says, well, Malone's great, but. He's being paid market value, and prospects or young studs are going to be paid next to nothing for the next six to seven years. And I'm like, you can't have it both ways. Like, come on. So it's, it is that strategy of, like, you talk down the player you want to acquire, hoping that maybe the other GM is, is too gullible and, and will agree with you and, and trade him to you for less. And I think – I think when the so when the Indians are dealing with Derek Falvey or Mike Hazen or David Stearns or anyone else that they've had in their front office and, and who they know well, it's like you can get past all that um, superficial BS and just cut to the chase because you know how we, you know how they think and they know how you think and I think the other part of that is around the league in general. I mean, there are a lot of people who have come up in different systems and like it seems like everybody is. 33 years old and has started out as an intern. I mean, it's, it's such a tight knit group that people have worked with other people. And there's just, there's such little unfamiliarity where I think that they, I think that's why you have difficulty in pulling off trades. I I really do. There's, there's, we heard Antonetti say it, like it's very rare that you have a, a drastic difference of opinion on a player where you see a guy who, you think his ceiling is he can be an all-star and the other team thinks his ceiling is a backup. Like that, that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. I think the, the, the overall number of teams that you could probably <clears throat> take advantage of, if you want to label is as that way 
uh, is dwindling just because so many, I mean, everybody is smart. Everybody's operating with the same numbers and the, the odds of you having something on somebody that they don't see is so minute in this day and age. And I, I think it kind of, when, when Mike Chernoff said it, at the meetings that they're not, when you're sitting down for a trade anymore, you're not trying to fleece the other team. You're just trying to come up with equal value that makes sense for both teams. And it sounds like every time uh, you and I have thought about making a trade in, in hardball dynasty, it's, I mean, there, there are the people that you're not going to be able to, to really trick. And you're just going to have to sit down and say, okay, can we find something that works for both of us um, based just on the talent involved? And then I think there are some teams out there like in HBD where you can you can say hey uh this this player is really good but you know uh, I think he really makes sense for you and just looking over name your names. roster name names <laughs> I need to know who to pick on oh like you don't already know you've got the spreadsheet <laughs> already printed out and p- posted on your right next to your computer at home um but I, I that's what I thought I found probably the most interesting uh, during the winter meetings is because I think every, everybody that plays, whether it's us with what if sports or fantasy sports can, can relate to that in some way because everybody goes through those negotiations um, in kind of a similar way. If you're trying to make a fantasy football trade um, you know, there's a sense of, of it depends on your league and if you're a keeper league and so in some sense you kind of have prospects, but I mean, how many times have, I mean, just sitting at home listening to this podcast, I'm sure you making a fantasy football trade have thought, whom, who are the biggest dummies in this league? And I'm going to reach out mm-hmm. to them. Everybody has done that. Um, so the challenge in baseball is that there are fewer and fewer dummies. Now, luckily for the Yankees, the Marlins are still full of a bunch of dummies. But I think the number of, of, of teams out there like that just aren't, probably is just not what it used to be. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, and I'm, Everyone who has who plays fantasy football knows there's that one owner you can pick on and and then take advantage of. And does that make it more fun or less fun? Doesn't that make it less fun? I think it's. I guess if money's on the line, though. Yeah, I, I suppose. I I, th- I think it's. I think it's more fun when everybody's active, and I don't. I don't necessarily want everybody to be on the same brain wavelength, but. I think as long as everybody's kind of operating from this sort of the same smarts level, I think it's more fun that way. It's more challenging for sure. I mean, you want to go out and win, but I mean, if you're just taking advantage of all the, the noobs and the dummies and winning championships that way, that's not really proving anything. So I, I think that's, I think that's tough. Like if I can relate it to, to HBD, like we're going to do for the rest of this podcast, uh, I find it, I actually find it more fun to talk with an owner or uh, a GM of a team that is, that is that's coming from things from the same evaluation standpoint as me, because now kind of like you said, you can get past all the bullshit. You can just talk about the players and you don't have to kind of tap dance and do a little game. You can just have honest evaluations of players and try to make it work. I think that's more fun than when you, 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 you make a trade or somebody makes you an offer that just blows you away because it's so stupid from their standpoint. And then you spend the next six hours wondering if you click accept, are people just going to hate on you for the next day and a half because you just tried to rip this guy off? I, I think that's, while it's kind of nice to have people that you feel like you can do that to uh, when you might need something down the stretch. At the same time, it's just kind of more fun when everybody's, everybody's kind of on the same page. And then I wonder, you kind of alluded to it, like in HBD there, I've, <laughs> I've gotten into it with several owners. We know I have a reputation where. In, across I, many leagues. Yeah. I, I, well, this is different than real life, but I prefer to just send out trade offers because I don't want to wait for you to reply. And then I have to reply to you to see if maybe this tweak would work. And then you reply. I just send a trade offer. And if you don't like it, counter it. If you have absolutely zero interest in it, don't counter and I'll move on. Um, but I prefer to start a conversation that way. And it's led to some unpleasant dialogue with other owners. Um, and 
the funny thing to me is that that never prevents us from working together in the future, uh, which is amazing. Because if teams want something, they're going to get it. And so I always wonder, like, the Marlins have just been roasted all off season by the public. And it's like, they should be thinking, okay, if this team is interested in this player, we should think twice about making this trade because <laughs> maybe based on the bet, like you don't want to just, you don't want to think you're the smartest person in the room, especially when you're new to this and you maybe did screw up. Um, and so it's almost like there are certain owners in our HBD league where they're like, okay, this, this owner is interested in this player. What is it that I'm missing that maybe this guy is amazing? And I think you have to think about that in real life too. Like if this team is calling about this guy who had a seven ERA in AAA last year, they might be able, they might be thinking that, okay, well with this mechanical flaw, if we fix that, he can be back on track to being a, a top prospect. And I think that works in the real life. I think it works with us. Um, I think it works even in, in fantasy football. It's like, okay, well, what am I missing here? Maybe this running back is, is going to get more carries as time goes on, maybe he'll be a good keeper pick for next year. So you always have to think, like, you, you put yourself in the other executive's shoes and, and, like, what's their angle here? And then why would that make sense or not make sense for me? If we're going to stay on this path of comparing what-if sports to actual real life, and I have no plans on changing for the rest of this podcast, I also find it interesting that in a lot of ways, this kind of mirrors real life. And through playing this over the years, I've also gained a better understanding of the inner workings of how roster moves work and uh, what it means to be second-year ARB compared to pre-ARB. It's been so helpful <laughs> actually, for our job. Seriously. It actually has. They should pay for us to play this game. Uh, the Athletics should sponsor it just because I think it helps you and I our understanding of the inner workings of the game. But it, it, because it all comes down to dealing with people. That's why it's more fun than playing like MLB The Show and making trades there. You're, you're dealing against the computer. In this, you're dealing against real other people that have decision-making, and you're reading the way that they approach things. And, and I, I enjoy that element of it because it is a lot like real life, and you see like the league evolve, just like baseball has evolved, where you know, and maybe in the past in this game – uh, defense wasn't as valued or uh, there's a rating in this game for catchers called pitch calling, which is basically like uh, pitch receiving in real life, grading how well he, he calls the pitches from behind the plate and, and maybe steals strikes behind the plate. Just basically helps your pitchers. And maybe when this game first started, all people cared about was offense. I don't care what he does behind the plate. Just give me a guy that puts an 850 OPS on the board and I'll be happy. And then as the game has evolved, Owners or GMs realize, hey, maybe it would make more sense to put a guy behind the plate that actually is competent, makes the rest of my staff good. And I think that's fun because you see you see that mirror real life, too, where in the past, maybe defense, again, wasn't as valued because you didn't have a great way to to really diagnose what's a great outfitter, what's a good infielder. And as we kind of develop more metrics, you're putting more emphasis on certain values. Um, and then you see where like in, in what we're doing right now, uh, in real life baseball, where guys aren't signing and teams are reluctant to spend free agent dollars. And it seems like half the league is tanking what's happening in our, in our HBD league right now, usually free agency comes. And by the end of it, there's a ton of two win players on the, on the free agent market, still just sitting out there and everybody's tanking, trying to get the number one pick. And that's happened before even real-life baseball got there. So maybe they finally started listening to the writers that know better than the GMs themselves that are running these, these teams in this league. They're actually realizing, hey, maybe, maybe we should follow this guideline. But that's what I kind of enjoy, that it has that similar kind of life force, if you will, to the game where it kind of evolves and how teams evaluate certain players changes. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. So I... I... I was the first one in there. And let, let's so our HBD league is thirty-two teams, and what would you say? Three quarters of them are, are baseball writers. Yeah, either current or former baseball writers. Yeah, I would say. And so, so that makes it difficult in its own right because everybody knows how this works, and then they know there's there's less of a learning curve than for someone who is an accountant and is doing this. Actually, an accountant might be good because they're probably <laughs> way better at the financials than 
uh, some of the people listening yes, to this podcast in the league. Absolutely. Uh, but um, <laughs> so, uh, so it's – I forgot where I was going with this because now all I can think about is all the trades that this one owner has screwed up <laughs> because of salary <laughs> issues in the past. <laughs> and I've been involved in about half of them. <laughs> But it's – I think – so I was the first one in our group of Indians writers who was – who did joined one of sports and, and started playing HBD. And it was right after I graduated college because a college friend of mine got me turned on to it. And so I was in this league where I knew my buddy and his friend and no one else and had no idea how to play. I, I traded for a guy whose first name was Cookie because just because I liked his name and everyone messaged me and said, what are you doing? You traded a good player for a, a career single A guy. And I was like, well, I liked his name. And, and then I placed all my emphasis. I just wanted pitchers who threw hard. I didn't know if splits or command ratings or pitch ratings mattered or durability or anything. I just wanted guys who threw really hard. I had no idea what I was doing. I, in my third year, I traded some really good prospects for this 37-year-old pitcher who was making $20 million a year and thinking he was the final piece to get me over the hump, and I ended up losing 104 games. And so I look back now, and it's like, Man, if I knew then what I know now, and it's, I think I've, I'm almost up to 30 seasons, and it's, you're still learning things every day. And I think you, you look at MLB, and like Mike Chernoff started as an intern with the Indians, I think in 2001. And he, or Brad Grant started as an intern in the marketing department. And he was like, uh, he was cleaning Municipal Stadium after games with uh, a dustpan and a broom. And like then he ended up joining baseball ops and, and the scouting department, and now he's vice president. And it's like these guys, it's the same thing. You learn more and more, and you get more exposure to different departments within the baseball side of the organization. And by the time you're around for 10, 15 years, you know so much, and you know all the inner workings to where – you know how other organizations operate and you know everyone in other organizations and there is just there's no information that um everybody has it's like they said everyone has the same information there are no secrets and so it makes it difficult it's it's everyone's kind of on the same page and i think as each year passes i mean sure bryce harper manny machado francisco lindor these guys are going to get hundreds of millions of dollars but we see everyone cut from the same cloth everyone with the same line of thinking to where free agency has suffered. A lot of the trades have suffered and it makes it more difficult and it places more of an emphasis on drafting and developing and that sort of thing. So then you want smart people in place um, in that regard. And it's just, it's just fascinating. Like the days of, you know, the Yankees and Dodgers spending $300 million and just playing in free agency every year. And you have to be so afraid and it, like, like, People who are saying, oh, Lindor's just going to end up on the Yankees in 2021 or whatever it is. And it's like, well, not necessarily because that's not how this works anymore. Everybody is smarter. Everybody is thinking differently than they were 15 years ago. And it's just fascinating. I think we've seen the same thing happen in our HBD league. And honestly, in my fantasy football league, which is a keeper league, it's like you, you draft. We have our draft every August, and then you play for a few weeks. And I've seen more and more, every year more and more teams, if they're like one in four after five weeks, they're immediately selling off their pieces and stockpiling draft picks. And it's like, like even what the Browns are doing kind of falls into this. I think everybody across sports is smarter and, and thinks differently than they do than they did 15 years ago, 10 years ago even. I think a lot of it has to do with the information that's available to us um, and – it's just it's fascinating to me, but it, it makes things more difficult, and it makes it makes the job of a, a GM more challenging. That was a very yeah. long-winded way of <laughs> saying that I'm really frustrated. I can't make any trades. Uh, it's, it's okay, man. I'm sure at some point you'll settle on something and get something below market value. We've, but I mean, aren't we just seeing more teams willing to accept the A or F outcome, like a zero or a one? Are, are we going to? Are we in it to win it? Or if we're not, if we're just kind of straddling the fence, then let's get all out and let's 
build up our resources. And that's that's what we're seeing right now in, in real life baseball. And we're seeing it too in across fantasy sports and what if sports and every other league that you can play in. Um, and I think what's fascinating about that, you have to find these teams have to find the next market inefficiency, right? You have to, mm-hmm. if everyone else is, is zigging, how are you going to zag? And I think what's interesting with, with major league baseball now is you're seeing the Cubs and the Astros tear it all down, build back up from the foundation, and go out and win a World Series. Teams have done that in the past, but I mean, to the level that the Cubs and the Astros just didn't give a shit and just threw all their resources into trying to be good in the future, I don't, at least not recently, I can't recall something as, as, as crazy as that. So now you're seeing all these teams say, well, you can win this way. And because they, these GMs now have a blueprint to point to, they can point to their owner and say, hey, look, you know, uh, if we go about this way, if we tank, if we lose all these games, we get these top draft picks, then we can win a World Series. And probably more so than ever, owners, because they, they can see that it pays off, are okaying this and saying, okay, we'll, ta- we'll bite the bullet, we'll have a poor gate, we'll, we'll suffer for a few years. But what you're saying here makes sense. And so you're seeing more teams do this. So now you have, what, six teams, seven teams? They're going to be all in on trying to tank. Well, when the Cubs and Astros did it, it was the Cubs and Astros doing it, and that was about it. Now you got six and seven teams, maybe even beyond that once the season starts, trying to tank, right? Doesn't that make it extremely difficult to follow that that model because – Instead of fighting with one or two or three teams for the top overall pick, now you're fighting for a third of the with the third of a league for the top overall pick. So, with with everybody doing that and making it a lot more difficult to try to tank, how, how do you go about capitalizing on that? Because for every one side of it, there's another side of it. There's something that you can do to take advantage of that, um, and that's where you know, I'm interested to see if the Indians can follow and and find what that is. And I, th- and I think right now it's it's sort of just buying off pieces that teams maybe are trying to just sell for for as you said uh, nickels on the dollar because they're trying to go all in on selling and maybe you can take advantage of of the, those situations that didn't present themselves in the past I, and that's sort of the way I look at things in our our HBD league where we've got it seems like half the league right now is not trying to win so. I could, with my team starting to get old and we haven't won anything, I, I could go in on a rebuild. But when everybody's rebuilding and you're selling off pieces, then guess who's setting the market? The buyers. And so you're not going to get as much for your players as you think you should. You know, in, in real life, you think, if I have this stud, if I have Andrew Miller, I should trade him and get back two studs, three stud prospects. It doesn't work that way. And maybe not even working that way now in, in baseball with the way things are going. Um, so how can you find the market inefficiency? How, how, where do you find the, the zig to the zag? And that's what I'm trying to do with my team, trying to be one of the, the, the top third that's actually buying players and willing to trade what prospects I have to try to win now, as opposed to the other two-thirds of the league that's trying to bottom out and put all their resources elsewhere. And I think we're seeing that now in baseball, how – my question is, how do teams take advantage of that? And the Yankees kind of did by stepping up and being willing to just take on the burden of that contract. But I think there's going to be more of that in the future. And I think the the really smart front offices that, you know, kind of get a little bit of help from their ownership are the ones that are going to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah. The thing about baseball, though, is that money is involved. And so – there, there's like a clear separation here. I mean, I think you have owners in baseball who are willing to get super close to that luxury tax line, maybe even go over it. There are owners that like to play in like the $150 million range. And there are owners who, and I think it's usually small markets or it's places like Tampa and Oakland that need a new stadium. Cleveland might fall into this that would prefer to keep the payroll pretty low. And so the because the answer to your question is well turn some f's areas where you have 
clear holes into C's instead of just going for the future A. Just turn it into a C for right now. The, the Angels did this really well last year, and they're, they're still doing it now. Their offseason, their entire offseason has been incredible. Two years in a row, yeah. Turn some F's into C's. It's gonna have to, you're going to have to spend some money, but you're not spending it on the top-tier free agents. You're not trading what you have and trying to get prospects because that's proven very difficult. Um, and so you just you, you still go for it, but, but you have to spend money to do that. And the problem is that there are only so many teams that can do that. Like, I, yeah, I kind of but, think but the I Royals... Also, but I also like, think that there's a level there where you, you're still not spending top premium prices like the 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 jay bruce thing last year if you're willing to just ante up and pay the five million dollars whatever it was the end of the year you end up getting jay bruce out of it i think there are going to be more instances where teams are going to be able to do that yeah no i'm with you it's it's interesting and each league is different too like the nfl is so you can be three and 13 one year and 10 and six the next year and you, you, that's why, like, what the Browns are doing is so different just because other teams haven't needed to do that. And we don't even know if the Browns necessarily needed to do that because we don't know if it's going to end up working. And so this is interesting. I, I the, the topic is interesting. And obviously, if we had the answer, we'd probably be working for front offices <laughs> because um, it's kind of the, the million-dollar question no matter what you do. But but you're right. Like, it's it's – if half the league is rebuilding and if tanking and bottoming out is the new thing to do, well, then there's going to be something easier to do in the interim. And there has to be a way where maybe you can still try to stockpile young talent, but also not completely give up in the immediate future. Um, But it's a balance and, and every organization is different and every leadership group is different. And it's, Difficult to do when everybody has the same information. Yeah, well, while everyone else was freaking out about Carlos Santana leaving, guess what the Indians got? Compensation pick, man. Why is no one talking (laughs) about that? No one's talking about the comp pick. No one's talking about what could become the next Justice Sheffield. No, it's all doom and gloom. Of course, what was what was my quote? (laughs) So after I lost, after I blew a three to one lead in the World Series, yes, and like I had built up through the farm system. And I had a loaded farm system and guys were getting older and I started making the playoffs every year. And then I blew a three to one lead in the world series against a team that was like a wild card team. And I had 106 games and I was so frustrated. And then I think I got knocked out in the first round. The I'm trying to that, think like, it was like the year the Cardinals won the world series with what, like 84 wins. Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. And then I, I lucked into the top free agent pitcher just with a, I don't know how I play. I guess like everybody thought he was going to get a max contract and I offered him something tiny and I ended up signing him. And like, I'm thinking, all right, this dynasty is going to take off. And I just, every year, postseason heartbreak. So I finally gave up on the farm system, traded everybody. And what was my quote about draft picks? Uh, well, it was just about prospects. Prospects are, uh, why can't I remember it? It was like prospects are just players who haven't done shit. Yeah, there's something to that effect. Okay. Prospects. So, I mean, there's ah, more than one way Prospects to do are this. just unproven players who haven't done shit. Exactly. <laughs> and in some ways, isn't that true in in real baseball? Like when a guy, think about, okay, Bradley Zimmer before he touches the major leagues, right? You have this idea in your mind what Bradley Zimmer is going to be, and fans have this idea of what Bradley Zimmer is going to be, and he gets to the major leagues and. He ends up being a decent player. He's probably, if he played a full season, be worth two and a half, three wins just based on his defense and his base running and like really solid player, a guy you'd want patrolling center field for you for a while. And at the end of the year, it's like, okay, well, Bradley Zimmer is okay. And then Clint <laughs> Frazier. Clint Frazier, right, is you trade him for Andrew Miller and he gets to the Yankees and he's going to be the next big thing. And, well, he gets to the major leagues and he's okay. And then he doesn't play the rest of the year. What, he had an injury and then – now he might get traded for Garrett Cole, but he's just kind of on the outskirts and he might be a good player, but probably not. People aren't thinking he's going to be a superstar anymore. I mean, the guys that become Francisco Lindor or Carlos Correa, are, that's, just, that's not the norm. <laughs> you expect it to be, but for every one of those players, you have a bunch of Adam Millers whose fingers don't work or something to that effect. 
Yeah, well, I think what the White Sox did last year was impressive. And I think the reason it was so widely praised was because it's just so hard to pull off these days. Yeah. I mean, they traded a slew of veteran guys, some some younger veteran guys, and got a, a boatload of really good prospects. And that's just that's so hard to pull off. I think it's we were talking about this like in our in our HBD league. A lot of times you have to trade multiple really good major leaguers for one really good prospect just because everyone treats prospects like gold. And in real life, it's usually you start off trying to work it the opposite way where a really good player is going to get you a handful of promising prospects. Like the Indians traded a couple of first-round picks to get Ubaldo Jimenez back in the day. They traded four players to get Andrew Miller, um, including two first-round picks. So – it's it's backwards. It's completely it's backwards, backwards. But I also think that in Major League Baseball, I think it's changing. I think, but there's also I, but there's also more incentive to win in real baseball yes. because you're worried about fans and an owner and losing your job. In this, as long as you keep paying and stay above the win floor, you're in for life. So, I guess it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's. Um, I I just came to a realization though as you were talking. It, okay. Is my HBD team the Washington Nationals? Like, is that me? Is is that me in HBD? Because do you always lose in the first round? I don't you always made it lose to the ALCS this year. I've been to the ALCS twice. I took down. It was lucky. But... I, <laughs> I took down the juggernaut of the American League. Um, but yet I lost. Wait, wait, the wait, ALCS. wait, wait. The juggernaut of the American League, the the team DJ, that's actually you're currently won. podcasting with, a team that has made the playoffs ten straight years, and has averaged ninety eight wins a season. There's also that average of how many World Series titles I know that you haven't won. But I mean, your team's hey, your team's really good, and I think I beat you in the postseason once. I think you've beat me like twice. But anyway, so I, I okay, so my team has never won a championship, but I have one star, Alex Hodges, who. If he stays with me, maybe he's a Hall of Famer in the future. Maybe he's like Bryce Harper. And and I'm willing to trade prospects like last year when they traded all of their prospects. Yeah, maybe that's me. I'm the team that's willing to do that. And yet I have nothing to show for it. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of like the NBA where there's like – how many different World Series winners have we had in the last 15 seasons? Like four, five? I mean, there's there's not a lot of parity, and that's we bring it upon ourselves because so many teams are playing for the future and have been playing for the future for years and years and years. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's I think I hope you know I, I believe in the adage of nobody cares about your fantasy team, <laughs> and so when we decided to do this topic today. I it was, was important that... we put it at the bottom of the podcast when everyone had <laughs> yeah. already tuned out. Well, I didn't want to just be like, oh, I had Todd Gurley this year and I won the championship and I'm actually staring <laughs> at the trophy on my desk right now in front of me as we record this. Um, but I think there are parallels and I think I just think it's so fascinating because, you know, you're always like you win your video game, you win the world, you take like the – Padres to the World Series and you're like oh well I can do Chris Antonetti's job and it's like no you couldn't but there are probably more similarities in what you do mm-hmm. and what he does than you would ever imagine and There's... it's been it's been a lot of fun learning more about that this offseason and hopefully we can get them to reveal some more stuff as the next season uh, begins well is if they would realize that the, the number of things like that that we ask about is directly related to the things that they aren't doing as far as moves go. If they want us to stop asking about it, all they have to do is sign some dudes. Sign some dudes, make some trades. Guess what? We're going to stop asking about the emoji that you sent to random GM number seven, okay? But as long as there's nothing to talk about, as long as there's guys not signing, and the only thing that we have tangible is Yonder Alonso, and we're not even sure what he is, then we're going to ask about these sorts of things. So they just have to realize that, and they're going to have to, to deal with it. Well, you know That's why they haven't made any moves? It's because Chris Antonetti is sitting on his couch in a sweatshirt and sweatpants <laughs> drinking a Christmas ale because uh, he doesn't want January to begin either. Uh, and he's probably putting his dog out in the back, just kicking it out the door, and then opening the door to realize 
Well, it went on the concrete. Way to go, man. All right, well, I enjoyed it this week. Let's get back next week and talk more HPD because that's actually the most enjoyable part of any podcast. You know, I just got really nervous because I thought next time we podcast, the offseason will be in full swing and I'll Ooh. have either made the trades I need to made, make or have failed Ooh. terribly. To be continued. Well, if somehow you listened to the last half hour of the podcast of us talking about our fantasy team and didn't tune out, I will encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Bumpers, search the Selby is Godcast, search TJ Zuppi, Zach Meisel. You can find us some way, shape, or form on there. Or if you have none of those ways to listen to us, if you only have a computer, I don't know how that's possible, but you are a subscriber of The Athletic, you can listen on the actual webpage that gets posted out. So there is a, a slew of different ways to catch us as we do this every single week. But it was good to get back with you this week and put our holidays behind us, Zach. Yeah, happy January. And remember, the Indians are chokers, the Cavs have no shot, and the Browns went 0-16. Until next week, see you later.